Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, Uh, Lord, I thank you for your presence here, and I pray that you speak this morning and that you would open our hearts to receive your message in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to wrap up a series that we started uh, way back the first week of January. feels like forever ago. Uh, We started a series called uh, Wholehearted Pursuit. Uh, And uh, the passage that we used that week, if you remember, was Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, uh, where uh, God is speaking to Moses and he tells him, hey, this is what's going to happen if you follow the law. And then he says, if you don't follow the law, this is how bad it can get. And he talks about you can you can get caught up following other gods and all this stuff can happen. But then he says, but if from there you seek the Lord, says if from there you seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And that's the the premise of this, uh, really this year and this season for us as a church, is that we need to have an if from there moment. We need to have an if from right here moment where we say, from this moment, I will pursue God with my whole heart. One of the things that's happened with this virus is it's kind of thrown everything into a season of of waiting, uh, of hold, of pause, of wait and see what's going to happen with it. And that can kind of seep into our spiritual life where we say, once this situation has settled down, then I'll pursue God. Or maybe it's a different situation in your life where you're saying, once this has settled down, then I'll really get back into pursuing God. But what God is calling us to is is to to leave that wait and see season behind and to pursue him uh, right now with all of our heart. And the first week we talked about that. And we, uh, the second week of the series, we talked about how uh, sometimes wholehearted pursuit looks more like wholehearted per, uh, surrender. And it was this case with Abraham, where pursuing God actually just looked like saying yes to God. When God would call him to do things like to go to a, a country where he didn't know where he was going. Or when he would say, take what is most precious to you and surrender it to God. And Abraham would say yes. And we compared him, if you remember to the rich young ruler who Jesus said, hey, go sell everything you have uh, and come follow me. And the man was willing to follow the rules, but he couldn't follow Jesus because he couldn't give up that which was most precious to him. And we talked about how legitimately we should feel sorry for that guy, but it's not because of the price uh, that Jesus asked of him. It's because of the reward that he gave up by saying no. And so today we're going to wrap up this series on wholehearted pursuit. Uh, even though we're wrapping up a series, church, we're just starting this journey where we're going we're gonna to just spend a season together of pursuing God with our whole heart. And uh, there's something I want to ask of you this year. Uh, I don't think it's too much of you. Uh, I want to ask you just to believe God for big things with me. Uh, This is big things uh, within this church family, but big things in your own life. Believe God and expect God for big things uh, to take place. I want you to pursue him like you've never pursued him. I want you to step out in faith like you've never stepped out in faith and expect big things like never before. There's a story uh, in Matthew chapter 21. We lock people out sometimes. No, Uh, There's a story in Matthew 21 that you're probably familiar with. Uh, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphant uh, entry. And he he comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and they're laying down palm branches and they're shouting, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And what Jesus does in Matthew 21 is he makes a beeline straight for the temple. Now you got to realize the temple was kind of like the pride and joy of Jerusalem. And Jesus walks in and he just begins flipping the tables. And if you remember what he said, he said, you've made my house uh, a den of robbers. I have that passage for you in Matthew 21, 13. Jesus said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. But it's the very next verse that's been standing out to me this week. The very next verse, it says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Very next verse, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So I'm going to ask a very simple question. Why were the blind and the lame flocking to the temple? And the answer, it's not a trick question, is because Jesus was there. And the expectation was, if Jesus is at the temple, then something big is going to happen. Church, there are countless Christians around the world right now that have walked into the church with no expectations for anything to be different than it was last week. There can only be one of two reasons for this, in my opinion. The first is that we don't actually believe that Jesus is in the building. Or the other is that the Jesus that's in the building today is not the Jesus that was in the temple. But can I tell you something, church? We are not here today because church is what you do on Sundays. We're not here to, to sing songs that are catchy and, and to throw up Hail Mary prayers and hope that somebody catches them somewhere. We're here because the Word of God says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. That's the Bible. We are here because the God, the Savior, who brought healing and hope and restoration and life to everyone who encountered him yesterday is the same God who brings healing and hope and life and resurrection and restoration to every person who encounters him today. And I want to tell you something that saddens my heart, church. At some point in our walk with God, believing God for miracles and for, for, for big things in our life, it went from a biblical faith to a radical faith. Church, we have reached a day in our faith where to believe the words of the Bible were to believe when Jesus said, anything is possible for the one who believes. When he said, uh, uh, greater things than I have done, you will do if you believe. We have reached a day where if you believe the words of Scripture, you have radical faith. But God is not calling us to a radical faith. He is calling us to a biblical faith. And church, I am not asking you 
to have radical expectations. I'm just asking you to have biblical expectations of faith that expects great things from the living God because the logical conclusion is that if Jesus is in this place, when we encounter him, we will change. We will find life and hope and resurrection. It doesn't matter who's speaking. No offense, Renee. It doesn't matter who's singing. It only matters that Jesus Christ is in this place. And the word of God says where two or three are gathered, he is here. Church, if we believe it, then we should walk in this place expecting a move of God expecting that our marriages will be restored, expecting big things. As I was praying, church, uh, for the vision for this year, I felt the Lord was very specific with me that he's not calling us into radical faith, but he's calling us to wholehearted pursuit. And I want to share with you why. Uh, whenever Emily and I take the kids and we go uh, somewhere like Erie, and when we get in the car... JR asks pretty much every time, will we be in the car for a long time? Now, the problem with this question is what's your measuring stick? Because if you're saying we'll be in the car compared to how long it takes to get to church, then yeah, it's going to be a little while. But if you're saying, are we going to be in the car a long time compared to that time that we drove 21 hours straight through to Florida with kids screaming in the back, and I had a full head of hair on the way down, but somewhere <laughs> along the way, it turned gray and just started falling out, then no, it's not going to be a long trip. It's a relative question of how long the car ride is going to be. And if I ask you this morning, do you have radical faith? The answer depends on the measuring stick. Because you could say, yeah, there's an atheist down the road from me, and I have radical faith compared to that guy. Or you could open the word of God, and you could look at Peter and Paul, and, and these guys who are healing the sick and, and telling dead people, get up, and you could say, no, I don't, have, I don't have radical faith. It's a relative question. Whether or not you have radical faith uh, depends on who you're comparing your faith to. But if I say to you, are you pursuing God with your whole heart? There's no comparison to the person next to you. You know the answer to that question. That is not a relative question. Are you seeking God with your whole heart? Church, we can gather here every week and we, we worship together and I love it and we pray together and I love it, but there's something you can never do. You can never seek God with my whole heart and I can never seek God with your whole heart. But church, this is exactly what he's looking for is just your heart. Now, there's a passage in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16. I'm going to uh, put it on the screen. Verse 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the, the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I want you to just see this beautiful image here of the eyes of God searching the earth, not for someone who looks the part, but just for someone who has that heart that has said, God, here is my heart completely and fully yours. But the context of this statement here, this passage, is so interesting because it's actually in the midst of a rebuke. 
Uh, it's actually taking place, uh, King Asa had been the king of Judah for 35 years, and for 35 years, uh, he trusted God, he sought after God, and the nation of Judah had not had any wars. Uh, but the Bible says that in the 36th year of Asa's reign, the nation of Judah went to war for the first time in his reign. And the Bible says what happened was this man who had been pursuing God and seeking God, uh, as they went to war and he faced a situation he'd never faced before, he did exactly what we've been saying not to do, and he kind of put his pursuit of God to the side, and he took care of the war on his own terms. And actually what he did was he took the gold and the temple out of, or the gold and the silver out of the temple, and he sent it to the neighboring king and said, withdraw your troops, we'll give you all the money from the church. And the Bible says that God sent a prophet to him, and the prophet said to him, do you recognize that the eyes of God are scanning the entire earth looking for someone whose heart is fully and completely his? And he says to him, but you have done a foolish thing because you've sought after this king rather than seeking God in this matter. And actually he says, so for the rest of your reign, you'll be at war. But it's actually earlier uh, in King Asa's reign where God kind of lays out what he should be doing and how we should be seeking him. Uh, 2 Chronicles 15, uh, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of God came on uh, Azariah, son of Oded. Uh, uh, I think I have this on the screen. Uh, 2 Chronicles 15, 1 and 2. And it says, He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, uh, all Judah and, and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. I've never seen this before, but I wanted to stop right there. He sends this message to the king and he says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And immediately I thought about what we've been talking about with abiding with Jesus Christ, where Jesus says, hey, I am with you always, but I want you to be present with me. We kind of find that same situation here with the king where he says, God is going to be with you. Be with him. And then the next uh, thing he says which we've read many times now, but the first time here he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. There's that promise again of simply, if you seek him, he will be found by you. Uh, now the nation of Judah uh, went through many, many kings, and the Bible says that, uh, that Asa was uh, actually a bright, bright spot. Uh, it says that the majority of the kings of Israel and Judah were defined by one statement, and that was, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it would just go through all of these kings between Judah and, and, uh, and Israel. I think there were 38 kings and 33 of them were defined by this statement. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And by the time we get to King Josiah in 2 Chronicles, uh, the nation of Judah was in a, a terrible, terrible place. Uh, for generations now, the word of God, the law of Moses had been lost and uh, if you read the Bible, it basically says one king was building upon the evil of the king before them. So with each new king, it just got a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And it says that, that uh, King Josiah uh, took over as the king of Judah. And I want you to see something that happens at 2 Chronicles 34.3. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek 
God, uh, the God of his father David. Uh, if you have that, put it on the screen for me. Second uh, Chronicles 34, 3. Uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the eighth year of his reign, I think it's one before that, while he was still young, he began to seek. I may not have it. Um, if you want to write it down, Second Chronicles 34, 3. In the eighth year of his reign, this church was his if from there moment. It took him eight years to find that place where he began seeking God and pursuing God. And it says it was about 10 years later that someone was working in the temple and they found the law of Moses that had been missing for generations. And I won't read the whole passage. It's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 23. But it says that when he finds the, the word of God, the law of Moses, he holds up the word of God and looks at culture and compares it to the word of God. And he sees that something is out of alignment. And he has a choice in that moment to say, well, it's okay because the law of Moses is old and outdated and not really relevant anymore. He can say that or he can say, we need a complete overhaul of what our culture looks like. And what happens is the greatest reformation in the nation of Israel uh, in their history, where he begins tossing out all the idols, uh, all the, the false gods. It says that, that he kills all the priests of the false uh, religions. Uh, he destroys, uh, the, he gets rid of the mediums and the spiritists and the house household gods and the idols, every detestable thing, and he wipes it all away. Now, the people, his contemporaries would have looked at him and he would have said, they, they would have said, this guy is a fanatic. This guy is a radical. But God looked at him and he said something else. I know I have this on the screen, verse 25 says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. The people would have looked at Josiah and they would have said, he is radical. And God looked at him and said, he is wholehearted. He has turned to me with his whole heart. For generations, people had been walking further and further from God until one man found the word of God and he said, this is not old and outdated. We're going back to this place. And church, if you open this book to the book of Acts and you look at the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the outpouring of the spirit of God and the people flocking to the cross and you look at our culture, even our churches today, and you, you compare the two, something is out of alignment. And we can say this is old and outdated. Or we can say we need to get back to this place. This place where, where faith in great things is the norm. It's not the radical. The people of Scripture expected God to move in great ways. If they expected it, I will expect it today, church. I will expect when we walk through this door that the presence of God will meet us here and lives will be changed. That the Holy Spirit will be poured out. I want us to do something that Josiah did. I want us to turn to God with all of our heart. 
What that means, church, is it means taking every avenue of your life and redirecting it towards God and his glory. Josiah took everything and he turned it to God's glory. What does that look like for you to take every part of your life and say, God, I am turning to you with my whole heart. I am turning my finances towards your glory, my relationships towards your glory, my gifts and my talents are for your glory. What if we today said, I will turn to God with my whole heart? Second Chronicles says that, that God is searching the whole earth for one whose heart is fully his in my prayer church is that he finds it here is that he's scanning the whole earth and his eyes stop at cranberry community church because he sees so many hearts that are fully and completely surrendered to him God searched for the whole heart, and the Bible says when he found it, it was recognized. It says that David was known for following God with all of his heart. Joshua was, was known for following God with all of his heart. Uh, Josiah turned to God with all of his heart. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, it says, sought after God with all of his heart. Every time someone would put their whole heart into it, uh, God called the people to repent with all of their heart. Jesus said, I want you to love me. With all of your heart, church, we serve in all of your heart, God. Do you know why God challenges you to love him with all of your heart? Because that's how he loves you, church. We don't serve a half-hearted God. We serve a God who sent his son to the cross in the greatest display of love. He said, I love you with all of my heart. God is looking for something that only you can give, and that is your heart. I can't give it for you. I was thinking this week about David and Saul, how Saul looked the part every bit of the way. He was tall and rugged and handsome and a leader of men. And God rejected Saul because he saw David. He said, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You don't have to worry about looking the part. It's about your heart. It's about the posture of your heart. Renee, can you come? If you're taking notes, I have something I want you to write down. As I was thinking more about the rich young ruler and how God calls us to surrender everything to him. If you can put that note up for me. Don't consider the cost too great to say yes, but consider the reward too great to say no. If someone could have only told the rich young ruler this, it's not about the cost. It's about the reward. Do you know what God promised over and over and over and over in Scripture? If you seek me, you will find me. And there are times that, that pursuing God feels like a great sacrifice. 
we're sacrificing the things that are precious to us, it causes a little bit of pain. But consider the reward of finding him, of him being found by you. Church, can you stand with me this morning? As you're standing, go ahead and open up um, your communion pack. Uh, we have more on the back table there if you didn't get one. These expired in 2014, but don't worry about that. <laughs> One of the things that the Bible says Josiah did and the great reformation of, of Israel's history is they had not practiced the Passover meal for generations and generations. But what he did is he took them back to the word of God and for the first time, they celebrated the Passover together, that moment where death passed over them and instead was placed on the lamb. This morning, I want you to, to celebrate the Passover with me. That death and the consequences of your sin have passed over you because they've been placed on Christ. And when Paul was leading the people in, in communion, he said, as we celebrate this, we proclaim his death until he comes again. And we proclaim the, the, the results of his death, which is that you don't have to pay for your sins or work your way into the favor of God anymore because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. If you could close your eyes with me. Lord, this morning we celebrate all that you've done for us. And I pray as it was with Josiah that as we celebrate communion, that it's a line in the sand, God. That we return to biblical faith. That we have made the decision in our hearts, God, that we will pursue you. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Lord, we will pursue you. The church, as Renee leads us, I want you to take communion in your own time. I want you to seek his face this morning and thank him for his sacrifice. And as you find him in your heart and in your prayer life, that's when I want you to take communion. The Bible says um, that when Jesus approached the rich young ruler, actually, uh, when he approached Jesus and it says that Jesus looked at the man and before he uh, asked him to surrender everything, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
Church, the reason that Jesus asks us to, to fully surrender and commit and, and seek him is because he loves you too much not to ask for everything. And I, I hope that, that when you leave this place today, that this hasn't felt like any sort of rebuke, but only an encouragement. Because my fear is if you leave here with your head hung low, then it's because you're focusing on the price. But we need to leave this place focused on the reward. That Jesus said, if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him, church. Lord, I pray, God, that we... that we make decisions in our hearts today, God, to seek you, to pursue you, to abide in you, to pray to you, to read your word, God, to be with you. And my prayer, Lord, is that, that you only do as your word said and that you meet us there, that we find you In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm just going to say the same thing I did in the first week, which is how to make this a practical message for your life. And the first thing is that you abide, that you are present with God everywhere you go. When, when you get in your car and you drive to work, that you can almost look over in the passenger seat and see Jesus there because you are present with him, that you are praying to him and that you are reading his word. All right, who's excited for church? <laughs> All right. I'm glad to be back, church. It's so good to see everybody. Uh, come back next week. I won't yell at you quite as much. Uh, yeah, I will. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.